Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. I, again, it's been said, but it bears repeating. I can't think of a better way to spend the first day of 12 of Christmas uh, with the church family. Uh, Christmas got its name because the church gathered on this day to celebrate the coming of Christ. That's where, well, you know, history, it's okay. We won't go there. But that's how it got its name. The, the mass that was held on Christmas Day, on the day of his birth, the day we celebrate his birth. And uh, that's how it became the, this day, Christmas. Uh, and as the world continues to move more and more secular, it's important that we continue to live more and more sacred uh, living in honor of the name of Jesus. And so I wanted my wife to come up and just speak a blessing over you. Let's do it. <laughs> Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Father, for what we celebrate. Your great love that came so that we could have an abundant life. Father, I thank you for every family that's here. I speak a blessing over them. And I thank you, Father, that you give the kids peace as we navigate the service today. That, Father, that your love would be experienced in a tangible way throughout this day. Father, thank you. Thank you. And I bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's just give some reflections on this day that I've been meditating on and thinking about. Uh, Something my wife does just extraordinarily well is um, because we're a multi-site ministry, uh, I have to travel a little bit, and uh, sometimes we get to take the whole family, the whole crew, which is an event. I have five children, uh, 12 and under, so anywhere we go, we bring a party, Um, and anywhere we go, we're obviously moving. Like, I don't know if you've traveled with that many children, but like the amount of bags you have to bring to go anywhere, it's like you're moving, but... Um, but often I have to travel by myself and, uh, something that my, my wife does really well, uh, is, uh, making sure that the kids remember, A, why dad is out of town or leaving, um, but B, that, that we sell that the kids celebrate me coming home. And so, uh, anytime I'm gone for a couple nights, uh, in a row, you know, she'll remind them of how many sleeps it'll be before dad gets back. And then the day I get back, uh, the kids all now, and this is just a common thing now in our home, anytime any one of us is gone for more than a night, <clears throat> we make signs and uh, basically welcome home celebration. And one of my favorite things as a dad uh, is, is when I get to come home and I come through the door the amount of yelling that happens and like the pile on that happens that daddy, daddy's home. And they all jump on me and we end up on the ground and then I get a little irritated. But it's, it's somewhat, it's so exciting for a little bit um, to know that you're missed because like, oh, come on, dads, let's face it. Like, you know, we're not always missed. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, it seems like things go pretty much normal when we're gone. Uh, and so you don't even know if like the kids recognize that dad's even here. I don't know if you had that experience raising young kids where like, you know, I'm a capable adult. Okay. 
um, I can take care of myself. I can take care of kids. But like I'm standing right next to our kids and they need something. It doesn't even matter what it is. And they're like, mom, mom. Like, I'm right here. I can help. Mom. (laughs) You don't always recognize that like you're missed or even seen sometimes. But and I, 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 like that kind of like welcome home celebration is, is always real, real precious to me. And I just, I can't imagine like, like many of you, many of the people in our, that are serving in our armed services um, that, that are, are stationed abroad and gone for months and this extended period of time where the spouse is at home, like navigating this tension of that. Your, your, your parent, your mom or your dad that's stationed overseas, they're doing something important and we want you to miss them, but we also have to manage that they're not right here. And, and that's a diff- I can imagine that kind of difficult tension. I mean, I've maxed out at like, what, eight days? Um, when you're talking a year, uh, that, that long happened to like both, they're with us and they're not with us. And, and what, one of the things that like, even me, I get a little teary-eyed. It happens, you know, a couple times a year, maybe. Um, but watching those videos of children whose parent comes home from the armed, armed forces, and like they're seeing them for the first time in, in like, uh, or first time in a long time. And many times it's years. And like, like children, they're like weeds. They grow really fast. Um, and so like that kind of like, emotional connection that's there that's like this celebration of like hey we're back together again and how how many times like a family feels like they just kind of have to keep moving on uh not knowing when or how soon or even if that other parent would come home and i just that kind of tension and like you don't want your expectations too high but you don't want to live hopeless that kind of tension is the way the world, a lot of the world lives. And if you think about the people of Israel for generations, that they're being promised a, a Messiah, a Savior that's coming. And like, we need to expect him at any moment. And then those moments turn to years and decades and centuries. And they're like, maybe, maybe God has just forgotten. Maybe, maybe God isn't coming. Maybe his promises aren't true. Uh, maybe we won't see him come back to Israel. Uh, and then the moment that he arrives, I, I just, it, it required a heavenly party. Like, uh, you know, it's, it, it talks about in Luke 2 that the heavenly host, anytime that's used in scripture, the heavenly host is referring to the, the angel armies um, that like had a celebration on the day of Christ's arrival. And I, as I meditate on that, and as I think about that, um, I want to maintain a childlike wonder about this without becoming childish about a celebration like this that, that's so pivotal and critical to all humanity. And, I, and when, I, uh, when I watch, when I pay attention to that story and think about what it cost the Lord to, to arrive. Uh, you know, we, we've had five children and my wife has had five babies. I used to say like, we've, like I've, had, I've had five babies. This is not a true statement. <laughs> so I can't say that. My wife has had five babies. But like, like, <clears throat> like it's a scary moment. Uh, like scary enough that our fifth one, like it, if we weren't in a hospital, like we wouldn't have our fifth. 
because of the emergency actions that had to be taken to save his life. And to think that the Lord humbled himself to the level to be born to young, probably teenage aged, uh, young adults, young children uh, in the dirt and grime of a stable. Uh, Like that kind of coming to the lowest is just really hard to fathom. And what I've been meditating a lot on is like, what is the motivation that makes that sacrifice worth it? That's a sacrifice for the Lord of heaven to come to the lowest of the dirty, grimy, stable of of animals and, and the nobodies. First John chapter four, I'm going to read all the verses I'll read today. I'll read in the Passion Translation. Uh, John kind of illuminates for us what the God's motivation is to, to, to make this kind of a sacrifice. Verse nine of first John four, the light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. For millennia since the origins of the human race, our sin is what has made us turn our back on relationship with God. And you follow the storyline of the Bible and what the Lord did to maintain relationship with humans, but how often humans turn their back. And the thing that keeps separating us is our sin. And how did God address human sin? He became part of the human race himself and became the sacrificial offering to take away our sins. To take away the barrier that separated us from God, he took the penalty himself. He took on him the burden himself to take away our sins, to take away what we have done to separate ourselves from God. That's his motivation. Like That's what motivated him to go to the lowest of the low, was his love, his steadfast, unending, loyal, sacrificial love. That's how much he's willing to do for you and I, that do it without us earning it or deserving it or even us reciprocating it. Like he did not wait until we were ready, he just came. And now, because he has come and we celebrate him, we keep announcing that to keep saying, guys, what God has done for us is so magnificent, so beautiful, nothing now should separate us from him. We shouldn't allow anything to to separate us from him. And this isn't like, we don't just get into like philosophical banter about any of this. We remember real events that real people participated in. And I was like, that always blows me away. It's like, like this was, these were real teenagers in a real barn having a real baby. Like this isn't theology and religion. This, that's, that's real. That's nasty stuff. And like, And yet, like, what was the motivation for the Son of God to come in human form in the most vulnerable, the most humble way? It was motivated by love. Love for us, not love generically, not love emotionally. Love that did something. Love that was willing to pay a price for you and I to be restored in relationship with God. John in his gospel, John chapter 3, very, very, very famous and familiar verses 
John 3, 16. For here is the way God loved the world. Don't, don't let anybody tell you that God's mad at the world. The Christmas should totally alleviate that. God is not mad at the world. He loves the world. This is the way God loved the world. He gave his only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. But verse 17 comes right next to that. And this is, this is what I, I think really, like we, th- we focus on John three sixteen, but, but here verse 17 too. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world but to be its savior and rescue it. To rescue the world. Why, why we celebrate Christmas is not because, you know, the commercials tell us we have to. I just, commercialism just, ah, it, it, it irritates me. That we would delude the rescue mission God sent forth into this world into commercials that are trying to sell you things. Uh, we give gifts not because we're just trying to clutter our lives full of stuff, but because it should be an extension of us having received the ultimate gift. And not just this baby Jesus that's in some, you know, cheesy nativity scene. No, no, God's son was sent as a gift, a gift not just to make us feel better, not just so that we should feel good about ourselves, but to become the sacrificial offering to take away our sin, to rescue the world from our own destruction, our own self-destruction. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate God's rescue mission. And I, I just, I can't imagine not celebrating Christmas. And, and if we want to banter about when he was born, and we don't really know, and why we do it this way, great, banter about it. Just not much, okay? Um, we we want to honor his birth someday. Might as well do it the day that, you know, for 17, 1800 years, the church has celebrated it. Um, and do it in a way that honors the Lord Jesus, not just honors commercialism. And, and so we gather to honor how much we've been loved. But listen, it doesn't just end in celebrating a baby. It doesn't even just end in celebrating how that baby grew and died for you and I and was raised on the third day. But this is why, as a church, we've wanted to shift into celebrating a whole Advent season, not to just to put a religious veneer on a secular celebration, but to recognize what we're really hoping for, what w- the kind of hopes that we're to be nurturing Um, the kind of longing that we still have to not assume that everything is just okay because, well, baby Jesus. No, no, (laughs) this morning, it's Christmas, and we make a big deal, like we made a big deal about all this. We made a big deal about being Christmas. Um, But uh, to my own hurt, because at 3.30, my four-year-old woke up two of his siblings (laughs) to make sure we knew it was Christmas, So we sent them back to bed. And then at 4.30 again, surely it's time to wake up. No, go back to bed. At 5.30, they're up again looking at the presents. And finally, grumpy dad came back out. And I said, kids, get back in bed. I'm not going to have grumpy children on Christmas. (laughs) 
<laughs> Guys, we got to go to church and be happy, okay? <laughs> I've, I've never tried to pretend with any of you, so <laughs> might as well be honest. That was a real conversation this morning. <laughs> um, and as annoying as that is, <laughs> and it's super annoying to be woke up that many times, and it's like, dadgummit kids, I got to preach, okay? Stop it. Go back to bed. <laughs> what, what, what I have to remember um, is that there's still something we are longing and hoping for. And, and that it's Jesus is coming back. It's not that just he came, he did, and we celebrate it, but that he's coming back. Hebrews 9, 28 says this, but when we die, we will be face to face with Christ, the one who experienced death once for all to bear the sins of many. And now to those who eagerly await him, he will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to bring us the fullness of salvation. I, 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 I don't need to get grumpy <laughs> or, or, or let, let prolonged waiting uh, and impatience or a sense of despair that maybe because it's been, you know, 2,000 years since his first advent, maybe he's not coming back. Maybe we just have to accommodate life as it is now in this broken, brokenness. And like, I don't want to let those kinds of feelings or temptations take over my life. Like, I want to maintain a sense of childlike wonder that, that, that I need to be up going like, is today the day? Is today the day? And then and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a childlikeness that we're to nurture in hope and expectation and longing. He is coming back without being childish and just filling our time with distraction. That, that we still are a people who have hope and we celebrate today and 12 days of Christmas, so there's 11 more. We celebrate that, yes, to remember, but also to remind ourselves of what we still long for, what we still are expecting. And in the last words of the Bible, um, Revelation 22, the very last words of our scriptures, uh, the Apostle John says this, the one who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And what carries us while we say, come, Lord Jesus, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all his holy believers. So be it. What carries us along is the grace of the Lord Jesus. And that to, to, to be able to maintain that childlike wonder and hope and expectation and excitement without just being childish. And so we celebrate today because of God's goodness, his mercy, his steadfast love, his sacrifice to restore relationship with us, but also to nurture that hopeful expectation. He's coming again. He's coming again. It may be in our lifetime, but it may not be, but he is coming again. He's coming again, and that's worth being excited about and celebrating. Amen. Amen.